Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Passive House Podcast. I'm Zach Semke, Director of Passive House Accelerator, and we're happy to be sharing a series of bonus episodes recorded in Hamilton, Ontario at the Passive House Canada Conference 2023. These interviews were conducted by Mary James, our Director of Publications, and Michael Ingui, our founder. A big thank you to Euroline Windows for underwriting this special series. Please enjoy. Well, thanks for having me and um, great to meet in person. My name is Sean Botham, Manager of Development at City Housing. We're a municipally owned um, corporation for, um, for public benefit. We have 13,000 residential or 13,000 residents call our buildings home. Um, we're actively developing and revitalizing and uh, renewing our portfolio. And part of that means we're um, constructing new buildings, which are all to passive house. We also have neighborhood revitalizations, which are community um, reimaginations that see um, partnership with private sector and nonprofits to redevelop a whole community. So we've got a couple of those underway too. Um, and yeah, we're we're trying to um, uh, accomplish so many social benefits with with our projects. It's not just about financial sustainability, but it's all you know the environmental sustainability and the and then the impacts on our residents and quality of housing. So I know one of the things you mentioned was, yeah, on um, the, like, like these ancillary benefits, uh, non-financial benefits. And w- from what we understand uh, out there in, you know, the research around buildings and people and well-being is that there's a real um, correlation between indoor air quality or air quality, wherever you are, and cognitive performance. So that's one of the things we've seen and in no way are we, you know, trying to measure and monitor those things, but do we want to provide the best environment for folks um, so that they can thrive? For sure we do. So part of uh, having these buildings so airtight and, um, and sealed allows us to do mechanical ventilation to provide, um, you know, great quality air that's filtered, and we're we're hopeful that that has a positive impact on folks' health. You can you can always think of the opposite: folks who might live in a basement that's not well conditioned and has uh, air and maybe water infiltration and all the health hazards that you know are conveyed through that scenario. So we're doing the exact opposite, right? Pumping in great quality air um, and doing it at scale f- um, for for so many folks. So that's that's definitely one of our pieces on the wellness side. The other, the other is really around building resiliency uh, in terms of the structure and extreme weather events. So, you know, if our buildings are to go offline, there's thermal comfort that gets maintained, uh, even if, you know, the temperature plummets outside and for whatever reason, there's no electricity or power otherwise to a building or heat or cooling. Our buildings really can maintain temperature in those extreme events. And actually during commissioning of our Ken Sobel Tower, we actually had a few days where we were out and you could see a very minor drop over uh, cold days in the building. So it played out, not that we wanted to test it, but it played out true. So um, those are a couple of things. And then we've partnered with U of T uh, and CMHC to do this. U of T being oh, University, University of, of Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Um, yeah, great team at U of T who are, are studying both occupant well-being, but also... Uh, monitoring um, other performance and measures, uh, measuring all sorts of uh, pieces of our building to try and determine what are the 
wellness outcomes? What are the social benefits? And um, how does that relate to energy and sustainability? So it's this comprehensive study. It's really hopeful that there's some learnings um, and that we can continue that study until there's uh, you know enough data to to make a great publication internationally. So yeah, that's U of T's work, and we're just happy that they're working with us on on that project. City Housing Hamilton is so out in front of most um, city social housing organizations. How is it that, for instance, the Ken Sobel Tower, how was the decision made to aim for Enerfit standard for that? And how is it, you mentioned that for your new buildings, you're aiming for a pass-pass standard. How was it that your organization took this kind of stance and decisions? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting story. I mean, essentially by 2016, we were out of the development game, but our board wanted to restart that in earnest with a, with two large-scale projects as well as a number of new builds. So they commissioned us to acquire sites um, and and to build out and revitalize. And one of the first things we had to do is how figure out, well, how do we approach it in terms of building form and design and um and how do we prioritize even sequencing? And we happen to have one of these West Harbor properties, a, um, a high rise that is the oldest one in our portfolio. It was sort of the canary in the coal mine for accumulated deferred maintenance and um, disrepair. And if you look at photos from the time, it was not a, a you know great quality, great condition inside. So um, when we looked to figure out funding for the capital repair, which is the main repair, we thought, well, what are the other things that we could layer in if we're doing it all at once? Normally, we knock off a few projects a year in terms of capital repair. But if we were going to accelerate and do them all at once, maybe it could pair with some other pieces. And we knew about Passive House, and I had actually been certified early on. And so we looked for a team that was capable in tower renewal. And then we looked to funders and pitched them on the idea that, well, what if we layer in energy, accessibility, um, and sustainability all on top of our capital repair and what, you know, could we make it feasible? So, um, luckily at the time we had a new CEO who was from the healthcare sector and really understood health and wellness and saw the benefit too in terms of sustainability. And so he was a champion of this, this project and uh, took, took that great big idea and, and allowed us to run with it. So, uh, and our board bought into the idea of high quality housing. And that they were supportive all along the way. And that plays into this whole, um, new build approach where we're building, we're building high quality housing. It just happens to be affordable. That's how we're thinking of it. So yeah, I don't know. And, um, how many, uh, towers, the Ken Sobel Tower, um, that you did the Enerfit, um, uh, revitalization on how many towers does city housing Hamilton own in their portfolio? Yeah, we've got something like 34 mid and high rise buildings. Um, Ken Silva was the oldest and in greatest need, but I mean, if there was funding available, there, there, you know, there's no shortage. I think across Canada, there's something like 2000 post-war apartment towers, right? There's a huge number. So, um, we happen to have a collection because that's when the, um, a lot of social housing was built out post-war and that was the form factor that they built. So it really is coming due for repairs and um, there is a, a great opportunity to pair the energy side with 
capital repairs that need to be done anyways. So, yeah. How are you branching out from that to mm. approach your other um, mid and high rise properties? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. We we're carefully navigating what to do with our other towers. I mean, there's a imperative to maintain every affordable unit um, and not let it go to uh, private sector or, uh, you know, otherwise go up in rent. So we definitely want to find a way to make them financially viable. And I, I'm sure that there will be pathways to um, improve energy performance. It really requires deep pockets. So as federal or maybe even provincial programs become available to enable those, we'll see more of these projects. Um, it's a hard, it's a hard case to make as a one-off investment, but we're in the perfect storm where we have to make incredible capital investments already. So it is a great opportunity to do it. Uh, on the new build side, so much easier to just say, this is the line in the sand. We'll build a high quality, high performance. And, um, it's not necessarily correlated with, um, an increase in price, uh, to do the high performance on a new build. So that makes it an easier go. And um, your, how many units are you looking at in your new build portfolio, roughly? Roughly, yeah. So right now, uh, they're all mid-rise, so smaller form factor. For the most part, we've got only 100-unit building um, just built out. But in total, it's something like 500 units right now. We are in a envisioning phase for a development strategy that would see many more new buildings built out in our second phase. So first phase is nine buildings, second phase is yet to be determined. But we want to be, we want to ambitiously provide affordable housing, not just maintain it, but add to the stock. We believe our board wants to take us in that direction. So we're hopeful for our ability to build out many more. And how do you see prefabrication playing into this new construction? Yeah, prefab is, I mean, so we're already, you know, we're subtly seeing it in terms of panel, panelized solutions, right? So wall sections that um, are sandwiched together, multiple components. It could be a finish layer right to um, exterior, um, you know, weather weather resistant side. So the whole package craned in. So we're seeing that already. And then now volumetric, um, it's it's a a further innovation in the sense of packaging the whole thing up in the factory and shipping out multiple units at a time. So I, I feel like both of those are in parallel going to continue to go. Um, somehow, somehow there will be greater efficiencies with modular. It just has to happen. And as we see factories develop more automated processes so that it's not just built in factory, but it's built through automation in factory, that's where we're going to see, and that's where my guess is where we're going to see um, significant cost savings. So, so are have you built using um, modules? Yeah, yeah, we are. So we're on our third project. Um, so right now, you know, this week we have one being craned in. It will happen over a few days. Twenty-four unit building. We also completed construction in December. Um, uh, precast concrete panelized system building 10 stories that was very novel uh, in terms of it going to passive house um, although the techniques have been around just going high performance is new and we've just commissioned a third building that is actually mass timber and it's uh, panelized systems so modular in the sense of panelized and you know we're seeing incredible um, 
benefits in terms of schedule and cost for for that particular system. So every project, there keeps on being uh, innovations, and I think that's due to a sector uh, ramping up innovation and quality of delivery. So uh, we're benefiting from that, and I, I hope that continues for sure. And um, in terms of stimulating the market for um, these kinds of construction approaches, have you seen an effect of that mm. in your with your work? I mean, have you seen it? It must be a boon to the companies that you're working with to mm. get these kinds of contracts, and then hopefully, maybe the construction approach might filter out. Yeah, have you seen that happening? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. Um, so, I mean, the nature of modular means that you need to have a factory or some type of you know, some version of a factory um, established to create it. So it's a high bar for companies starting out. So what we've seen is companies that were doing some type of modular switch to more long-term housing and affordable housing and like uh, long-term lasting, long-lasting structures from say school portables, right? Those are some of the early entrants. We're also seeing folks that are using technologies that were, uh, that are really common in terms of custom milling and they're scaling them up for more mass timber applications. So those, those pieces are happening. I mean, there is a, a huge part of the government focusing on a rapid delivery program for affordable housing. And that's provided a real boost to uh, some of those existing uh, companies in the market. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, government stimulus in the terms of funding projects that have a rapid delivery timeline is definitely a factor in the successes we're seeing of modular taking off. And um, just to give a sense of what's the population of Hamilton roughly? Oh, yeah, mid-500s. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. so uh, we're a mid-sized city. We're actually... Um, you know, we're one of these historic cities where a lot of the fabric of the city is still intact. We're not a suburban community, although we have suburbs and plenty of farmland. Most of the city is actually farmland in the way the city's shaped, but it's it's like a full, intact, mid-rise city. Uh, oh, sorry, um, mid-sized city. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful community, and it's amazing to see so many uh, high-quality buildings going up in in the city. And uh, just reverting to the question of prefabrication, but this time with retrofits, is that something that your agency is exploring in any way? Yeah, a little bit in a sense. With our Ken Silva project, we explored options for cladding and looking at uh, European examples. There were off-the-shelf products that could be used in in. in that region here in Canada, we didn't have as many. So we, we essentially, when we retrofitted this 117 story building, we had to essentially create a, a system to clad. So we've, we've, we've done it from scratch. Actually, there's another housing provider in Ottawa that's, um, set up a little factory themselves and prototyped, um, doing the same type of thing, but for townhouses. So, uh, you are seeing folks dip their toes into it, but it would be great to, s- see um, establish modular or other types of uh, manufacturers coming in with um, fully 
um, modular projects, products to, to cloud buildings that there's definitely a gap in the market. Are you liaising with other agencies across Canada? You mentioned Ottawa. Yeah. Um, how are you guys influencing each other in terms of the work that you're doing? Yeah, certainly. Certainly we're, we're a collaborative sector. We're all in the same situation and, you know, we're not competing with each other necessarily, not directly in any way. So there's a tremendous amount of collaboration and, and excitement too around building sustainably. So, um, there's working groups all over the place for us to collaborate on. And many of the larger providers certainly, um, work hand in hand with each other to try and figure out procurement contracts, um, you know, building design. Like we talk through all of these issues and, you know, everyone has their own strengths that they're coming from in their communities and own uh, experiences. So it's, it is very helpful to, to work together and it's accelerating our progress as a sector. In the, um, an earlier talk today, there was talk about the total cost of building ownership, looking at that when considering the cost of retrofit measures versus just the payback time. Yeah. Um, is that, a um, factor that you're working with? Yeah. Your agency? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we commissioned a study that, uh, helped guide our board and determining some key design decisions for our buildings. It was everything from, um, garbage chutes to balconies to, you know, high performance. And, um, certainly when we're designing out our buildings, high performance, but everything, on, on the table, we're looking for ways that um, really are mindful of the long-term impacts. I mean, one example is just on the balconies. I know it's a controversial uh, position to maybe look at removing balconies, but from a landlord, building owner, um, the cost of repairing and renewing those down the road is tremendous. It's like underground parking. Not quite as bad, but these are... These are items that need a lot of repair and maintenance for them to work well. And if there's ways to not include them, um, we have to look at them. So, so we're certainly mindful of the total cost of ownership, uh, not just only with energy, but that's a big piece, but looking at all building systems. Well, it's been really great to talk with you. I really appreciate you taking the time. To-